Matthew chapter number 8, we're going to begin reading in verse number 5. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse number 5. The Bible says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. Now, a centurion is a captain or leader in the Roman army that is over or captain over 100 men, hence the name centurion. Beseeching him. Verse 6, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. How about that? All this man said was the state that his servant was in. He just notified Jesus of the situation. Before he could even make a request, Jesus said, I'm going to handle it. He said, I'll come and heal him. I'm thankful that sometimes I don't even have to say out loud what I need. God knows my heart. I can't tell you how many times I have been burdened about something. And seems like I can't even put the words together. And before I know it, Jesus is already taken care of. That's exactly what happened here. Verse 8. Now we see the centurion's reply. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. That's some reverence right there. I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he, what's that next word right there? Say it again. Marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. I want to talk to you tonight on the subject, How to Amaze Jesus. How to Amaze Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you so much and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for, uh, Lord, your goodness, Lord, and your grace for your mercy. I thank you that we're all able to gather here together, Lord, and and study your word and to worship you. Lord, I ask that you would uh, bless this message, Lord, that you would give me strength to deliver it as you intend. Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, purify my heart and cleanse me from anything that would uh, hinder you. Lord, I just ask that you would use me tonight and that you would allow us to learn something and grow out of the result of this message. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So when I was reading this uh, chapter, this is right after Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount. And he's coming into Capernaum. And I noticed that it said um, in verse number 10 that Jesus marveled. And that struck me because, you know, when you think about Jesus, you kind of think of this sort of level-headed guy. But he does have, in, if you'll notice in the Gospels, he does have a lot of emotions. We see some anger. 
We see some compassion. We see some sorrow. But here specifically, we got to see Jesus be amazed, astounded. And I just thought that that was so unique. Because here is the Son of God, right? The Messiah. And something has just taken Him by surprise. Something has just shocked Him, amazed Him, caused Him to wonder. And we're going to look at what that was. I'm here to tell you tonight that every Christian can live a life that amazes Jesus by acknowledging the three attributes of Jesus seen in these verses. The same three attributes that we see that this centurion acknowledged. Attribute number one, we see that he acknowledged his affection. His affection. Look again in verse number six. He comes to him and he says, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. This centurion had heard about how Jesus was ministering to those that nobody wanted to touch. Nobody wanted to come near. Jesus was doing things that the religious crowd of the day would have never even thought of doing. The scribes and the Pharisees, the people that are supposed to be um, the most knowledgeable and in touch with the Word of God, were not ministering to the least of these. But Jesus was. Jesus has already, at this time, developed a reputation of caring for people. Of loving people. I think that's a reputation that you and I should try to emulate. I think that's a good example. When people think of us, they should say, man, that, that person really cares for people. This centurion knew that. He acknowledged that Jesus would care about my servant who is grievously tormented. Jesus would care. 1 Peter 5, 7. One of my favorite verses. Casting all your care upon Him. Why? Because He careth for you. Because He careth for you. I know it might be easy to forget, but everything that we get worked up about, everything that causes us to have stress and anxiety and gives us those sleepless nights, Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Jesus isn't only the sacrifice that made salvation possible. He's a friend. He's a friend. He cares for us. We have a heavenly Father who cares for us. They're concerned about us. If it matters to you, it matters to them. If it's enough for you to worry about, He cares. He's got affection for you. uh, One of my favorite stories to tell people is when I was probably four or five years old, I had gotten in trouble, as was the daily routine. And uh, mom... uh, her full-time job at the time was to give me whoopings. And uh, 
And as a side note real quick, I need to tell y'all what I was getting whooped with. Wasn't no belt or wooden spoon. I've had them. It was a glue stick. All right? You go to the craft section at Walmart or Joanne. I don't know if that store is still in business or not, but you get you a glue stick. It's about this long. And, man, she could conceal carry that thing, bend it in her back pocket. She'd whip it out, and it's like I've been beaten with a switch as well. It's like a switch, but worse, because it comes back to you faster, right? So that's what I, that's, that was the weapon of choice. And one day I had done something, and I got sent to my room, and that's, that's almost worse than getting the beaten, is the five, ten minutes you're in there just, <laughs> just anticipating the pain that's about to come. Horrible. And so for whatever reason, this time that I was sent to my room, while I was crying, I decided I was going to call out to God and ask Him, Lord, please send Grandpa to come pick me up and save me from my mama. And I'm talking about, I don't think I've ever prayed like that in my entire life since. That was probably the peak of my prayer life. And I was praying. And mom hears me in the hallway. And she starts cracking up. She's got the door cracked. And I didn't know that she was listening in. I'm, I'm focused. <laughs> and so she calls my grandpa and says, Dad, you've got to listen to this. Puts him on speakerphone. And grandpa hears his <clears throat> favorite grandchild <laughs> crying, praying for God to send him to come save me. <laughs> and he said, April. Don't you touch that boy. I'm on the way. He said, Dad, I've got to beat him. He did so bad. He said, I'm going to show him that prayer works. But I tell you what, I had faith in my grandpa's affection for me. I knew he cared about me enough to come and rescue me. Amen. And he did. And we had one of the best days ever. I didn't get a whooping. I got to disobey. And when I got home later that night, I got a whooping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mom's got some memory on her. One afternoon with grandpa did not pay my penance. But we see that he had faith in the Lord's affection. He knew that Jesus would care. Look at Psalm 63 and verse 3. David says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Man, that's powerful right there. Your loving kindness means more than life. God's got an unconditional love for His children. It's the only unconditional love that exists. I've seen some powerful love in my life. I've seen the love between my mom and my dad. I've seen the love between my grandparents. Strong, Christ-like marriages. But... To an extent, that love is conditional. To an extent. You've got to wake up every day and work at it. God will love us always, no matter what. No matter what. I can't tell you how many times I've felt undeserving of that love. Unworthy. And guess what? We are. But it's a gift. 
It's God's gift to us. The second attribute that this centurion acknowledged was Jesus' authority. His authority. Look in verse 8. He says, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Now what I thought was so special about this is because in most every other miracle that Jesus performed, he would touch the person that was sick or blind, or he would go to the house of the person that was sick. But this man said, I'm not worthy that you should come to my house. Now keep in mind, this is a captain in the Roman army. He's probably got a pretty nice house. He's got a compound with all of his servants. He said, I'm not worthy. And I got to thinking about how sometimes I don't really have that kind of acknowledgement for who God really is. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Talking about Jesus here, being the head of the church. That word preeminence just means first place. Nobody before Him. And this centurion understood that. This centurion understood that this isn't some run-of-the-mill prophet that's got some healing magic. He knew that this was the Son of God. He knew who he was talking to. And I guarantee you, this man didn't even feel worthy to be in his presence. It probably took all the courage he had to walk up to him and ask him about his servant. He said, you can't even come to my house. I'm not worthy. Man, that's the kind of reverence and respect we need to be having. We need to remember who our Lord and Savior is. This isn't some popular public speaker, some religious icon that has uh, fooled many of his followers. This isn't Buddha or Muhammad or or whoever. This is Jesus. This is God. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, talking about Jesus here, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to remember that when we come here to worship, we are worshiping the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We serve a risen Savior. He's not in the grave. He's got victory over death and hell. Satan is sailing a sinking ship. Jesus has won the victory. We have power through His name. The name above every name. 
He's got the authority. And I feel like sometimes we lose a grasp at just how awesome and how magnificent His authority is. Creator of the universe. And what makes His affection even more special is that He doesn't have to care about us. We're just little old us. But He does. Despite His status and His power and His authority. The Bible says in this same chapter in Philippians that He thought it not robbery to be like one of us. To walk this earth. King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He cares for us. He shows... He shows us His affection. I don't know about y'all, but I think that's pretty special. I feel pretty blessed to know that the one that sits on the throne cares about me. And that I've got hope because of His authority. I know that once this body dies... Because of who He is, I know where I'm going. Amen? Amen. Let's look at the third and final attribute that this centurion had faith in. We see that he has had faith in his affection, his authority, but not only that, his ability. His ability. He said in verse 8, he said, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Speak the word only. He said, just say it, and it, it can happen. Now, this is so crazy to me, because if you put yourself in the shoes of this man, I feel like there would be a part of me that is almost like, why don't, you, why don't you come see him just so we can double check that this gets done right? You know, why don't you just, if it's not too much trouble. But he knew that he had the ability. The same way that God spoke the universe into existence. He just spoke it. He did the same for this man's servant. He's got the ability. I feel like sometimes we forget just how powerful God is. We forget kind of kind of guy we've got on our side. We've got somebody who's got the ability. He's got the power. He's got the strength. Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite verses, and I remind myself of it all the time. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. You know what that power that's working in us is? Jesus. 
the Holy Spirit. He can do above all that we ask of Him or even think. And if you want to get real nerdy, as I like to do, this centurion was thinking and was about to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. But God said that he would do it before he could even ask. So we see in this text the exact demonstration of Ephesians 3.20. Isn't that cool? How the Bible doesn't contradict itself. If you want to live a life that makes Jesus say, wow. We're going to have to constantly acknowledge these three things about God. Because when we do that, that puts us in a right relationship with Him. When we remember and acknowledge how much He loves us, it's going to cause us to love Him more. We love Him because He first loved us. Amen? When we remind ourselves of His authority, it's going to cause us to worship Him even more. Because He's deserving of all of our praise and all of our worship. And we remember, and when we acknowledge His power and His strength, man, it's almost overwhelming. It's almost overwhelming just how much He can do. I'm going to leave us with one last verse. Isaiah chapter number 40 verse 29 He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. Another thing that I love about God's ability is He's not stingy with it. He'll he'll give us some of His power. You think I'm I'm up here because of my own strength? No. (laughs) I was praying at the house, Lord, you're going to have to give me some of your power we can't do it on our own life is too hard to go through it without God's ability without God's power I'm thankful tonight for that power that is working in us amen so if you want I know I do to amaze Jesus with how we live our lives let's not forget these three attributes Let's remind ourselves on a daily basis. Let's wake up and let's pray for God to remind us of who He is. More importantly, who we are. Who we truly are. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, we love You so much. We thank You so much for this message, Lord. And Lord, we thank You for these attributes of Yours that we studied tonight. Lord, they're very simple, God, but when... When we really stop and think about it, Lord, you're, you're just magnificent. Lord, And we ask that you would help us to, to have a, a faith like this centurion, Lord. Lord, a faith that amazes you. We love you and praise you. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. Okay. That's the tag out right there. Amen. Uh. There's two kinds of preaching that makes another preacher want to preach. Bad preaching and good preaching. 
And son, that was good preaching. Amen. Uh, I want to say thank you to our congregation. Um, I guess it was two weeks ago that Hunter preached here in the auditorium for the first time. And you encouraged the fire out of him. And uh, so thank you for that. And I want to tell you something. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way or not. But pastors and preachers, they don't just fall out of the sky and happen. God calls them. God starts that burning desire in the heart. They surrender. But then their skill, so to speak, has to be developed and honed. And uh, it's awful hard on a young preacher when people are just look at, looking at him like, well, you're not our pastor. What are you doing up there? Um, so thank you for, uh, for loving young preachers. Amen. Amen. And we as a church, we better have that attitude. Uh, because, uh, you know, there's another generation coming after us and they'll be what we help them to be in Christ. Whether good or whether not so good, they're going to be the product of our discipleship and our encouragement. And uh, we need to rally behind these young men. All right, Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. Um, I want to go on the exact same subject of faith. And so we're going to keep the same subject tonight, the subject of faith. Hunter spoke about how to have a faith that amazes Jesus. So his message was every Christian can. That's a how-to sermon. So I want to follow up that tonight with a, uh, a every Christian should sermon, why we should have faith in God. So Luke 17, let's start reading in verse number 11. The Bible says, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him Ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when they saw, uh, or when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet. Remember our message several Wednesdays ago about Martha and Mary? Where was Mary? At his feet. That's where worshipers go, right? It says, giving thanks uh, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan or someone that wouldn't normally be found at the feet of, of Jesus. And Jesus answering uh, said, were there not ten cleansed? 
But where are the nine? There are not found that returned to give glory to God save this stranger. Not a stranger because Jesus didn't know him. A stranger because he was not of the household of Israel. And he said unto him, that is to this Samaritan, the one that turned back, he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Which whole is a lot different than healed. Let's look at this for a minute. Father, we love you. And just like Hunter needed your power and strength and your touch, Lord, I need that too. And uh, I pray you'd bless us in this portion of the hour. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to tell you tonight that every Christian here should live by faith. The title of the message is Faith That Fulfills. But we should live by faith because of the following reasons that are set forth in these verses. We should live by faith. Somebody say amen right there. Reason number one that we should live by faith is because faith overcomes obstacles. Faith overcomes obstacles. We find in verses 11 through 13 that these 10 men who were lepers had some real obstacles at this point in time in their life. Why does faith overcome obstacles? Well, because faith allows nothing to stand in the way. Faith allows nothing to stand in its way. For these ten men that were lepers, there were two main obstacles. The first main obstacle was, of course, disease, leprosy, an awful, awful uh, disease that would eat away at the skin, it would uh, draw up joints, it, it caused all manner of sickness about the body. So disease was in the way, but also distance was in the way. The Bible says that when Jesus came in to this certain town, that there met him Ten men which were lepers, and then the Bible says, which stood afar off. And there's a reason, a historical uh, and religious reason, that these leprous men were standing afar off, such a far distance from Jesus. And that reason is that the Levitical law of the Old Testament mandated that anyone who was infected with this infectious disease called leprosy, had to be, uh, number one, outside of the city limits, or you've heard the word outside the camp. And number two, 
They could not be any closer than 100 paces to someone who was not also a leper. And of course, the reason for that was to keep disease from spreading and uh, to keep them quarantined. And so disease was in the way and distance was in their way. But verse 13 tells us how that they used their faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, to overcome these obstacles. The scripture just says in verse 13, And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Is there anybody here tonight that needs a little mercy? (laughs) Is there anybody tonight that I'm speaking to that has an obstacle uh, in the way in their life? I mean, uh, uh, I know that there's some, been some big obstacles in my way. Uh, there have been uh, people that I have met down through the years that had things in their life that were absolutely insurmountable uh, uh, difficulties without the help of a loving, gracious, heavenly helper. The point that I'm trying to make here is this. Even though there was a great obstacle standing in their way, these men still cried out to Jesus with believing faith. Which is really an indictment upon those of us who sometimes look at our problem and how big it is and can't even seem to muster up the courage to ask God to move that obstacle. I like what one uh, uh, preacher or Christian writer, I don't know who it was that said it, but uh, and, and I don't know exactly, I'll probably get this mixed up, but it said, don't tell a God how big your problem is, but tell your problem how big your God is. Amen. And go ahead and trust God and believe God by faith for that thing that's been holding you back, that thing that's been holding you down, that thing that's caused you to fear, that thing that's caused you, uh, like Hunter said, anxiety. It's time we look up to God and lift up our voice and believe that there is a God in heaven that has nothing that he can't do. Say amen right there. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not toward thine own understanding. So that's one of the the most famous verses in the Bible about faith and trust. But William, when I read that early this morning, boy, God got me. God ever just... Clean your clock when you're reading the Bible. Now, I'm just going to tell you what God told me. The, as I read that verse, the biggest obstacle we have is our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart 
And lean not toward what? Thine own understanding. You see, the biggest obstacle is probably not the thing or the issue. It's probably not the person. Whether you think so or not, it's probably not your boss. It's probably not your choice of employment. It's probably not money. Although those, all those things can be legit obstacles. But I think the biggest obstacle is our own understanding. In other words, trying to figure it out on our own, leaning on us instead of leaning on God, leaning on what I can uh, accomplish instead of what God can do. Can I tell you this? I've worked... 80 hours on trying to solve a problem before only to come up empty-handed and frustrated and and flustered only to go to God in prayer and Him fix in 80 seconds what I couldn't do in two solid weeks. That's about how good my own understanding is. Let me ask you this. What obstacle do you have standing in your way? And will you trust God to move them when and how he sees fit. Let me give you reason number two that we should live by faith. And by the way, has it dawned on anybody else besides me that it seems to be taking two sharps and we still don't measure up to one carter around here on Wednesday nights? (sighs) Hunter, I thought about that earlier and I'm like, I'll be doggone. Amen. Reason number two that we should uh, live by faith, is because faith operates in obscurity. Faith operates in obscurity. And what I mean by that is when when it doesn't make sense. When, When life doesn't add up and when everything's not plain and simple and black and white and when things aren't easy, even when things look like There's no way out. Can I tell you a little secret? That's when God does His best work. These, uh, well, let me give you this. Why does faith operate in obscurity? Because faith believes God instead of questioning God. And number two under there, because faith moves upon God's Word, not man's wisdom. Now, I'm I'm taking this point from verse number 14. Verse number 14. Before a leper, a leprous person, who had been healed, before they could re-enter a normal working society and participate again in society, they had to be pronounced clean, And that pronouncement came only through a priest. It didn't have to be any special priest in a big city. Any priest could evidently uh, pronounce someone clean. So Jesus instructed these ten men, right, right after they cried out to him for help and mercy, Jesus' instructions were, hey, just go show yourself to the priest. Well, the the problem with that is he told them to go get pronounced clean before they were clean. 
kind of like how God, uh, uh, just a side note, kind of like how God says, you know, don't try to fix all your issues. You come to me and trust me for those issues, right? Uh, so Jesus says, I tell you what you do, uh, uh, go show yourself to the priest. Now that's a, that's a tricky situation because you only do that when you are clean. And so the scripture in verse 14 is pretty awesome. The Bible says, and it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. In other words, evidently, according to what the scripture actually says, they just took Jesus at his word. I can imagine them being like, okay, it's still here, but... Okay, we've heard about what you did with that blind man. Uh, we've heard about those other leprous people. We, we, we even heard about Lazarus. And that's some heavy lifting right there. And maybe they had a conference. Maybe they're like, hey, what do you think? What do you think? I think we just do it, man. Did you hear about Lazarus? And I don't know this, this is pure speculation, but the scripture says in in verse 11 or verse 12, as he entered into a certain village, a certain village, which is the exact same wording used when he went to Bethany. It it didn't call it Bethany, it said a certain village. It could be the same village. I don't know. It's probably not because it's a little bit different time frame. Uh, 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 But I, I bet they heard about it. So they knew the reputation of Jesus, or as Hunter put it, they knew about his affection. And the Bible says, it came to pass. That tells me it didn't happen right then. It came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. So there was some time, I don't know if it was five minutes, ten minutes, a half hour, I have no idea about that. But I do know this, he required them to move toward the priest's before they experienced that cleansing. Also known as, there was a time when it was dark, difficult, obscure, but they moved anyway. They moved anyway. So the question here, uh, by way of application, is this. Will you choose to believe God even when it doesn't make sense. You see, honestly, Mike, honestly, if we wait around until it all adds up in our brain and makes sense and then move, is that faith? No. Now, I'm not encouraging you just to go out on a wild hair and and do something absolutely crazy. But then again, at the other side of my mouth, this might have been kind of crazy. The point is, it doesn't have to make sense to be God. And it doesn't have to make sense for us to believe God. The third reason that we should... uh, uh, live by faith or trust God by faith is because faith observes the obvious. 
Faith observes the obvious. Why is that? Well, I think because faith sees differently. The Bible says in verse 15, or the, the Bible tells us as they went, they were, they were cleansed, they were healed. So all ten of them got a touch from God, right? Amen. And then the Bible says in verse 15, and one of them, one of them, watch this, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. In other words, his faith looked around as they were going to the priest and said, hold up, wait a minute, I'm seeing something I ain't seen in a long time. My skin is white as snow. There's no, there's no sore boils. There's no oozing pus. There's no difficulty in my joints. Man, I was, I was infected with this awful disease that separated me from everything good in my life. This Jesus gave me an instruction. I started following it and voila, I'm different. So he turns back. And the Bible says with a loud voice, he glorified God. Listen, be careful how you criticize someone's worship. You may not think it's appropriate, but they might just be turning back. You may not think it's it's uh, 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 um, let's see, uh, 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 what's a word that I'm looking for? Dignified. That's the exact word I was looking for. You may not think it's dignified, but they might just be turning back. And the amazing thing here is Jesus didn't have no, no issue with the one that got loud. His issue was with the nine that kept on going. Now, some people have speculated that, and we believe from the text that the nine of them were Jews and one of them was a Samaritan. Now, the only place that Jews and Samaritans, or even now as I understand it, in the Middle East, Muslims, Christians, Jews, doesn't matter. If you have leprosy, your leprosy will combine you. Because that's the only fellowship you, you have. So we know nine of these were probably Jews. The one was a, a, a Samaritan. It has been speculated by some that the reason nine of them did not return is because when they went and showed themselves to the priest, the priest dissuaded them from going back to Jesus because of the animosity that the priest would have had to Jesus, this new fanatical religious leader that claimed to be the Messiah in their reasoning falsely claimed. But that narrative doesn't really hold merit because according to the scripture, they didn't get to the priest and then come back. Are you following me? What we believe happened is on the way, 
the, the Samaritan is the only one that observed what obviously happened and turned around and gave glory to God. And, and, and the, the, the thing is, the other nine evidently were so eager to just get back to the everyday life, business, family, religious activities. They had no time to turn back and fall at his feet. Man, doesn't that just make you want to shake your finger at them and just be like, or shake your head and just be like, you just don't get it, do you? Uh, 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 until we look in the mirror. Amen. I remember one time, and this is a little bit different angle on, on observing that, but I started in the homeless ministry the second year, I guess, that I was in Bible college, something like that. And um, after a few years in that ministry, you know, you, you, you want to see results and you want to see lives change. You want to see all this and that. And a couple, three years into it, there'd been a whole lot of people that had came and gotten saved, but it wasn't a whole lot of evidence of it because they wouldn't come to church and I got so discouraged one time about that, Steve. I was at work. I worked at Midland Valley Country Club. Preacher Malcolm got me that job. And I was, this particular afternoon, I was thinking on that, and I was disgusted, and I was talking to God about it, and I was right, I'll never forget, I was riding down number 16 Fairway. 17 Fairway. Long par five at Midland Valley Country Club. And I was on a a John Deere three-wheel sand rake machine which if you've ever seen one they the same thing they use at the ballparks this was an old one it, it, they come stock from the John Deere factory with no muffler fenders falling off and just look like they've been through Armageddon it's, they're awful every one you've ever seen just brand new ones and I'm riding down through there you know just it, it, and, and I'm praying and complaining and contemplating and I'm frustrated and I told God I said Lord just, I just want to see one person whose life actually has been changed. And I said, Lord, just show me one that used to not give a rip and now their heart is really just burning for God. And I'm praying about that, you know, and all of a sudden, The Lord spoke to my heart, and he didn't say it exactly like this, but what I heard was, you big dummy, what about you? Why don't you look at yourself? Man, I'm driving that machine down there, and we would always put it in neutral on those big South Carolina hills because it went two and a half miles an hour on flat ground, but you put that baby in neutral on hill 17 and you was moving. And man, I was going down that hill and I got to thinking about that. 
And, and, and then I guess I'd been studying these verses and I got to thinking about this Samaritan, how he turned back with a loud voice. And, and, and God said to me, Brother Tim, God said, listen, the, the, the real issue is not what they're going to do, not if they're going to uh, 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 change. The issue is I have changed you and what are you doing to glorify me? And man, I took a running spell. Before I knew it, I jumped off of that machine and it went one way and I went the other way and all them golfers thought I had done, had a Mississippi squirrel revival or something. And listen, and God taught me right then and there, observe the obvious. And this Samaritan by faith looked at himself and said, listen boys, if y'all want to go ahead to the priest and get your pronouncement, You go ahead and do your thing. This man is special. And I'm going to let him know. Oh, folks, listen to me. Will you open up your eyes of faith and see all the good things God has done for you? Oh, my goodness. Let me end it with the third reason we should live by faith, and that is... Faith obtains opportunities. Faith obtains opportunities. Why? Because God requires faith and because God rewards faith. God requires faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please Him. 1 John 3.23 says, And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. So God requires faith. And God rewards faith. Galatians 5.6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh, by love. In other words, it's not the works of men's hands. It's the work of God in our heart. You remember the story of, uh, of, of Naaman in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 5? He was a, a very prestigious man who was stricken with leprosy. And he found out about the prophet Elisha. And he went to Elisha to be healed of his leprosy because there was a a, a young damsel that told him, hey, that prophet, he can fix you up. So he went and the scripture says he went with his horses and with his chariot and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. I love this saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times. And thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. The scripture says, but Naaman was wroth. That means he was mad. And he went away and he said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hands over the place and recover the leper. He says, are not Abana and Phapar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? 
That Jordan River is pretty nasty. And this man was way too good. He thought way too much of himself than to get down in that nasty river. By the way, you do know that's why that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of empty seats here tonight, right? Oh, do I need to connect the dots? Well, surely if I'm going to be successful in this life, I don't need to go over there to that church and listen to some 21-year-old or some guy that runs a homeless ministry. Certainly, there's a better place for me to hobnob. Anyway, we won't preach on all that. Thankfully, thankfully, Naaman had some men around him that had some good sense. And they helped him. And, and, and so his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? <laughs> How much rather then when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean. In other words, if he'd have gave you some prestigious thing, wouldn't you have done it? All he said you had to do was just go get in that river. That's easy. So the scripture, evidently, Naaman found it somewhere within his heart to humble himself. And he did what the prophet said. And when he came up, his flesh, according to the scriptures, was like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. The point here is, he almost missed his opportunity for a new start because of his lack of belief. What are we missing out today because of a lack of belief? In this story, there were nine cleansed men who missed out on wholeness. And there was one who got all the goodies. I don't know about you, but by faith, I want everything God has to offer me. So, Hunter, thank you for telling us how we can have faith that amazes God. I hope we'll all do that and put that into practice. And I hope that you'll take my encouragement from the scripture about why we should. Amen.